0: share on this Easter night the wonderful table of the Lord. I want to talk to you for the final time in the month of March about the power of an endless life. And I want to ask that everybody remain seated the rest of the service, nobody leaving their seat until this service is completely over that we will respect God and his house and his servant and his word in these next few minutes and respect his table and concentrate on what he has to say to us and what he wants to do for us in these next few minutes. Our scripture reading tonight is from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthian believers, chapter 15. That wonderful chapter about the risen Christ that Paul shared with those early believers in Corinth. and We are going to read beginning at verse 12 down through verse number 19. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Good question. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or vain. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He ends this section by saying, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You can catch a bit of the heart of Paul on this theme, can you not, in these verses. It wouldn't be too far out to say, Paul believed in the resurrection. Paul believed in the power of an endless life. What makes Easter so special? Is it the trappings? I say no a thousand times. No. Is it the crowds that gather? No. A thousand times. No. What makes Easter so special is what Easter declares. A living, risen Christ. That's what makes it so special. He is the Lord of the supernatural. The resurrection is a supernatural event. And that resurrection of 2,000 years ago declares to the world that he is the Lord of the supernatural. It's interesting that our Russian friends are with us tonight when I wanted to make a comparison. Even the communists, as I see it, do not mind a social Christ or a watered-down gospel. You can join the state church and survive very well. Never have to go to prison. Never have to suffer rebuke for the cause of Christ because they're not afraid of a social watered-down gospel. But when you get somebody or a group of somebodies that believes what this passage of Scripture declares, even the communists know they've got a beehive on their hands. When they believe in the supernatural, and that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but that he's going to raise all of us from the dead someday in resurrection glory. They can't handle people who believe in that. And they try to put them away. Or put controls on them so much so that they cannot openly declare that message. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said in Luke 4, 18 repeating what the prophet had said years earlier, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. There's the supernatural. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. And the healing that is mentioned in that verse goes on and on and on and on into eternity for He has through that anointing brought to all of us the power of an endless life. That's what makes Easter so very special. Now, I want you to take your Bible in hand and carefully follow with me some of the characters that surround this wonderful, endless life message and discovery. Easter made a difference to many people scripturally, and I want to first mention the women of the Gospels. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, the very last chapter which is chapter 16. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse number 9, where Mark says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Can you imagine the difference this message of an endless life made in the life of Mary Magdalene. He had cast seven devils out of her. Her sorrow was turned into joy, not only at the time of that wonderful deliverance, but at this time when she came sorrowfully to the tomb Early that Sunday morning, only to have her sorrow once again turned into marvelous joy as she discovered he was not dead, but he was alive, resurrected, glorified, and that he was going to the Father and one day come back for all of those who trust him. I call that a double deliverance. Delivered from the power of the devil and now delivered from the fear of death and of separation from our wonderful Christ because he was alive, not in that tomb wound with cloth. He was moving about, he was speaking, he was breathing, he was seeing. He was again ministering, and Mary was the first to see Him in this glorified state. Not only was Mary Magdalene thrilled, and not only did it make a difference in her life, but the other Mary, it would be the Mary of Bethany, recorded in Matthew 28, which is the last chapter of Matthew, the ninth verse. And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. When you look back at the first verse, you will see exactly who was being spoken to in the ninth verse. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Mary of Bethany. What happened at Bethany? Her brother Lazarus had died. He had been in the tomb four days and he stunk. He was already deteriorating in the grave when Jesus came to declare, I am the resurrection and the life. And they said, well, we know that in the last day our brother will rise again. But they didn't have faith for then. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. And the Grave clothes were taken off of his body and they were ecstatic. The news spread everywhere of this marvelous miracle. But the hopes were dashed. When he was put into a tomb and the other Mary came with Mary Magdalene, despondent, defeated, wondering, fearful, when Jesus Christ said one word, Rejoice! The fear vanished. Hope was rekindled, and the Bible says they held his feet and worshiped him. They were now alive totally and looking forward to the endless life that was now embodied in Jesus standing there in their presence. It made a difference to the women. Think with me about Peter. Matthew 26, just a couple chapters back from where we read a moment ago. Matthew 26, verses 74 and 75. You know what happened. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the dejection that this man felt? Can you imagine how hopeless it must have seemed for Peter who had denied his Lord? who had fallen into the trap that Jesus had prophesied about. You have been there. You have failed him. I have failed him. And it's a terrible, terrible feeling. But there is another passage, Mark 16, verse 7, that last chapter of Mark again, where we read these words and don't miss these. Jesus is risen, and it says in verse 7, Mark 16, Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Go and tell his disciples and Peter Jesus made a special point to get a message to Peter who had failed the Lord. Tell Peter I will meet him in Galilee. And we know that after the resurrection, Jesus did go to Galilee. He ate fish with Peter and the other disciples. He communed with Peter. Peter was lifted out of despair by this personal message after the resurrection and the personal confrontation of Jesus and it was not condemnatory. He didn't put him down. He looked into his eyes that look of forgiveness and that look of hope and Peter went forth to be the disciple of Pentecost and the disciple who said, I am not worthy to be crucified as my Lord, turn me upside down. If there was no resurrection, do you believe that Peter would have ever allowed himself to be killed like that? Not on your life. He knew he was alive. It had made a difference in his life for he had failed him and there was no hope until Jesus said, Tell Peter, I'll meet him in Galilee. I want to tell you tonight, there's hope for you. I don't care how many times you failed him, he sent me here to tell you, tell John, tell Mary, I'll meet them at Capital Christian Center tonight in the communion, I'll meet you there at the table. I'm alive. You have the seeds of an endless life in you. You will not perish because I live forever. Hallelujah. Let it get a hold of your heart. Let it get a hold of your fear. Let it get a hold of your guilt. And let it flush all of that out. He desires to meet you just as he desired to meet Peter following his horrible failure. Thirdly, look at Luke, the 24th chapter. As we hurry along, these characters surrounding the resurrection, there were two travelers on the way to Emmaus in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 17 through 21. As we look at their despondency, they didn't know what the future held. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Have you ever walked... Like that? Well, not since yesterday, I can hear some of you say. Well, they were walking, but were sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You say, well, how come they couldn't recognize him? Probably because their heads were down in the dirt. They were so low they couldn't reach bottom. They were so dejected because of this terrible event that had just happened. Besides all this, they said, today is the third day since these things happened. Can you imagine the pathos, the emptiness? Their hopes were dashed, for their master had died and had been buried. But thank God when you get down to the 33rd and 34th verses, things change. Oh, hallelujah. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Their hopes had been dashed, but when he made himself known to them, hope was revived. They were so excited about it that instead of going to bed, they went to Jerusalem You say, is that right? Yeah, look, they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. It was night, but they couldn't sleep because of the excitement, because of the rekindling of faith and the rekindling of hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ has the power of an endless life in Him, and He imparted it to all of us through the event of this day. And they caught it, and they were never to be the same again. All of their discouragement, all of their bewilderment vanished because of the power of the resurrection. You want to know how to live a victorious life? Have Easter every day. That's how it works. It made a difference to the ten in John chapter 20 who were gathered behind closed doors For fear of the Jews. You say ten, yes. Ten. Judas had gone out and hanged himself, and Thomas wasn't there because he was a doubter. So there were ten. And verse 19 of John, the 20th chapter, says they gathered behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Now, how could that be resolved? You look at verse 20 and you'll find the answer. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were what? They were what? Glad when they what? Saw the Lord. His presence took all of their fear away. And I'm here to tell you on this Easter day that his presence is here, in this place, in this room, right now. He's alive. And we'll meet him in the communion of our Lord in a few moments, for he comes to meet with us in that very, very special way. Their fears were dispelled and turned to gladness when Jesus appeared. It made a difference to Thomas, verses 24 and 25, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Anybody here like that? Unless I have a special revelation, a special manifestation. He doubted because he was absent when Jesus appeared. How did Jesus deal with that? Very simply, look at verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, when did he answer? When Jesus said, Thomas, put forth your hand, put it into my side, touch my hands where the nail prints are, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas shouted, I think it probably shook the rafters, My Lord and my God, in a moment, Every doubt in this disciple's mind vanished. And Thomas took hold of the power of an endless life. He became a martyr for Jesus Christ, clubbed to death, historians tell us. Boldly, go ahead and kill me. I have an endless life. And they clubbed him to death with a club at the head but he didn't care. This man who wasn't even there when he appeared the first time because of his doubts, so devastated by doubt. Jesus said, I can handle that. Thomas, go ahead. Put your hand in here. Touch me. Be not faithless, but believe me. Easter. Easter. He is alive in us, which means we shall live eternally. What do we have to be afraid of? It made a difference to those early Christians. First Corinthians 15, their message to the world was that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Verses 3 and 4 the message that changes lives. Christ died for us. He was buried and he rose again for our justification. Hebrews 11.35 informs us that they were tortured for their faith. Their faith in what? Not just their faith in a doctrine or in a creed, but their faith in a happening. You say, what happening? The resurrection. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Listen, that they might obtain a better resurrection. What caused them to offer themselves like Thomas without flinching? What caused them to be tied to pitched Crosses in the gardens of Nero to burn alive at the stake the resurrection. They knew that though their life would be burned from them in a few moments, it was not the end of them, for they had the power of an endless life within them. For a better resurrection, they were tortured, they were martyred for their faith. And finally, it ought to make a tremendous difference to us today, for Romans 4.25 said that if Christ did not rise, we are still in our sins, for it is his resurrection that justifies us. You say, no, it's the cross. No, it isn't. It's the resurrection. If Jesus had stopped at that cross, we would have no hope today. There would be no justification today. We would be sad today. There would be no lilies bursting forth with life. We would wear shrouds, cover our faces, wail and mourn if it was just the cross. But it's not just the cross. There is a tomb that is empty nearby. He came out of there justifying us, proving through that powerful deed and act that he was the Son of God with power. The power of an endless life that he could impart to all of those who would ever believe in him, all of those that would ever trust him. In John 14, 19, he himself said this, Because I live." you shall live also. He did not say, because I die, you shall live. No, he said, because I live, you shall live also. It is through the door of the resurrection, the justification comes to us. And so I say again, experience Easter every day, and you will be a powerful follower of this Nazarene. Now let me conclude with this wonderful illustration from the Middle East. There is in the city of Rome, Italy, a museum most unique. For in that museum there are two rows of tombstones collected from the era of the Apostles. One row of those tombstones is pagan, non-believers. The other row is Christian. Now the inscriptions on these tombstones preach to us powerfully on this Easter day about the power of an endless life. Listen. First to several of them from the pagan tombstones. Farewell. Farewell! Farewell forever! Another must have been an actor. The tombstone reads, My play is ended. Soon yours will be. Farewell and applaud me. Another says, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Another says, after death, no reviving, after grave, no meeting. Now you shift to the other row, weep not, my child, death is not eternal. Did you get that? Did you sense anything different? Weep not, my child. Death is not eternal. Go to the next. Alexander is not dead, but lives above the stars. Go to the next. He sleeps, but lives. Now that is a paradox without Easter. But it's truth today to those of us who know he's alive. He sleeps but lives. And finally, one down the row says, he went to God. If you have not yet made up your mind whether you're going to be a pagan or a Christian, I pray that on this Easter Sunday, You will prove as millions have proved around this world in the power of an endless life. Folks, would you sit down, please, over here? Just be seated for a few minutes, if you will. I ask you not to move. You did this last Sunday night, and we cannot have it. Just sit down until we're through. If you come, you come to stay. Thank you very much. If you have not found it yet, find it tonight. There are two pictures to see, one hopeless, the other filled with absoluteness and positive assurance. That's what this day is all about. It's what these flowers are all about. Did you notice last Sunday they were not budded yet or bloomed? They were all closed up. But today, look at them. Just for us, just for my sermon, just to illustrate to you, there's life today. That door is open and He's not inside. The clothes are still there. You can check. I look. They're still in there. But Jesus is out here. He's in church with us tonight, worshiping with us tonight. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. We have the power of an endless life. Now bow your heads in prayer all over this room. Close your eyes before we come to the communion table and end this marvelous day. I want to ask you, are the seeds of eternity in you right now? Do you have hope? Do you have peace? Do you have Christ? Do you have eternal life? If not, you can have in just a few seconds. And you can take these emblems with us as believers in Jesus and testify of your faith. Before we pray, if you need prayer and you would like Christ Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you of your sin, lift up your hand right where you sit. Just lift it up. Let me see it. God bless you. Right down here. God bless you back there. Hold it till I see it. God bless you over here on my left. Thank you. And another way back there, too, back there in the corner. God bless you. Up there in the balcony. God bless you. Back here on the aisle toward the rear. Thank you. Another over on my right. Praise God. Thank you. Jesus is here in his spiritual power to make known to you. There is here present the seeds of an endless life. You can have it. Anyone else want to be prayed for, just lift your hand. God bless you. Those of you who raised your hand, just stand to your feet now for prayer, please. Just for a moment, then I'll have you sit back down in just a minute. Stand. And I want Christians around these to go stand with them right now. One or two of you, just put your arm around them and pray with me as we look to God. God bless you. I appreciate you standing. Let's all of us now pray, shall we? Just seek God together for a moment. You realize what's happening? eternitys coming into these hearts. People are being forgiven of their sin as we pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, come into these hearts, these precious people that you've led to this church on this Easter night. We ask for the forgiveness of sin. We ask for eternal life. We ask for grace. We ask for mercy. We ask that Christ will become Lord and Master of each of them. And now let us all pray this prayer with our friends who stand. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you now, and I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, and I will walk with you, and I will serve you as you give me the power, as you give me the ability. It is time for you, Jesus, and I open my heart and receive you now. In your holy name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, look at me. Those of you who are standing, look at me. On the authority of this book, Jesus wrote your name down in heaven's book. You're on your way to heaven. You're on your way somewhere. (laughs) Praise God. And after this service is over, I want you to come down front and pick up a tape that I've made and a booklet. See one of our staff and take this material with you. Now I'd like our leaders to come, please, to the communion table, and I'd like our chorale to come and get in place. We're going to be blessed.